Here with us now we have Dr. Zaki Ahmed, he, him, who is the chief of medical staff at Humber River Hospital. He did his medical degree at the University of Karachi in Pakistan and has been practicing as an internist at Thunder Bay Regional Health Sciences Center for over 15 years. He became chief of staff at Thunder Bay in 2018 and at Humber River Hospital this April. Hi, Dr. Ahmed. We are so happy that you're here with us today. Just to get to know you a little bit more before we get into the bulk of our content, we have a few questions. When did you choose to go into medicine? So I went into medicine uh, after uh, doing part of my undergrad at the University of Toronto. This was back in 1994. And um, at that time, uh, there was a huge need of physicians. Um, and uh, I was doing my undergrad in life sciences at that time and uh, decided to apply into Canada. Uh, but uh, due to political reasons, they had cut the medical school seats. And so a lot of us uh, that year out of University of Toronto ended up going abroad to, for medical school. Uh, and so did I. Awesome. Um, and can you tell me a little bit about what your day-to-day -day looks like as um, an internist and chief of staff? Yeah. So I work mostly in the ICU. And uh, in the ICU, we usually do a week at a time. Um, and then some night coverage from here time to time. So with that, I work in the ICU uh, during the day. I'll try to tackle some of the urgent uh, uh, administrative stuff during that time in the afternoons. And uh, otherwise, for the rest of the three weeks of the month, I will do purely administrative work. Uh, so some of that involves um, uh, meetings and some of that involves emails, things like that. Awesome. And when did physician mental health and well-being pique your interest? So it pretty much started uh, probably there was a report that came out in 2017 um, that looked at uh, the physician uh, well-being uh, at that time in Canada. In the U.S., that uh, thought process had already started um, and we were seeing large numbers of burnout at that time, mostly related to EMR rollout. Um, but we started seeing some of that in Canada back in 2017 with the first CMA report. And um, that's where we started some of the work for physician wellness in Thunder Bay at that time. And uh, then it's just progressed and then COVID came. So uh, it's obviously gotten a lot worse since then. Yeah. Okay, perfect. To kick things off, we want to get a better understanding of the current state of the Ontario healthcare system. Recent news has expressed that our healthcare system is under a lot of stress, especially since the start of the pandemic. From your perspective as an internist and chief of staff, we want to understand how the healthcare system has changed over time. My first question to you is, how has the prevalence of specific diseases changed? So what we're seeing is a lot of patients are coming in with, the, uh, with many uh, or several chronic diseases within one visit. Uh, where you would have one simple patient coming in with pneumonia. Now they're coming in with pneumonia, heart failure, and um, COPD. Um, but combined with that, they have, uh, there's a lot of social issues uh, for such as poverty. Uh, there's um, other uh, homelessness, things like that, that uh, add and compound the complexities of the patient. And those become very time consuming, uh, very emotionally draining, 
Um, and uh, those are the challenges that most of the internists are facing on a day-to-day -day basis. Yeah, and how has this affected patient load and the amount of work that physicians have? Yeah, so they both have increased. Um, so as we've had more and more patients uh, admitted to the hospital, um, so often our medicine services are running well over 100% capacity, um, and uh, the physician um, numbers have not changed uh, dramatically. Um, some of that has to do with uh, the way the physicians are reimbursed. Um, however, because the numbers haven't changed, the numbers of patients per physician have changed dramatically. Uh, which has made a huge difference in terms of their workload. And then you add uh, the complexity factor to it, which makes uh, each patient uh, much more cumbersome. So as a result, in terms of the time and uh, energy, both mental as well as emotional energy that it takes um, is compounded quite a bit. Yeah, for sure. That makes a lot of sense. Um, have you noticed changes in the amount of responsibilities that physician physicians have had? Um, I know that you mentioned that um, a lot of diseases are kind of compounded um, with new patients, so the complexity has increased. Have you noticed that physicians are um, kind of working outside of their normal scope of care or um, taking on extra tasks that they wouldn't normally do uh, like before the pandemic or um, in the past? Yeah, absolutely. Right. When someone comes in with simple uh, medical issues, it's very easy to write a prescription and send them on their way. Um, however, when you start seeing patients who come in with uh, the medical issue, but along with that, the social issues that you can't ignore. Um, so um, you uh, end up working as a social worker. Um, and if you see uh, parts where things aren't working from the dietary standpoint, you work as a dietitian. Um, then if you can't see them walking, you help them get up and walk around, you're working as a physiotherapist. So you're, you're doing multiple roles. And one of the biggest roles that most uh, physicians end up playing are administrators. So some of that is, um, so you're being a patient advocate. So that's taking an emotional toll. And then you're playing in it as an administrator, looking at patient flow. Uh, you're trying to make sure that uh, the EMR is working well. So all of those things um, make it uh much more complex to take care of the single patient that you already had. Of course. And have you noticed that this has kind of affected their ability to deliver or consistently deliver high quality care? Um, we know that, of course, physicians deliver top-notch care, um, but when you're burnt out, it's really difficult to do that with enthusiasm. Um, so yeah. Absolutely. And I think that's where burnout has to be um, at the forefront and not just in medical world, um, because what it really impacts is exactly what you pointed out is actually impacts patient care. Uh, so we know a burnt out pilot uh, cannot fly with uh, the accuracy that they fly um, uh, prior to being burnt out. Uh, so similarly, a physician who's burnt out will not be able to manage uh, most of the issues that they were doing prior to being burnt out. So it's no longer just a healthcare issue. I think it's become more of a societal issue where people, we, where we have to uh, tackle it from a societal standpoint. Of course. And have you noticed that with this increased patient load and with potentially this increased burnout, um, has physician enthusiasm towards their own workplace and their own careers, has that changed? 
Yeah, I mean, you see that at the extremes. Um, so the first, um, the first uh, part of it is actually when they start getting disconnected. Um, and that's what you're talking about is uh, that disconnect uh, comes on um, fairly uh, insidiously, but at the same time, it, it ramps up very quickly. So the initial part is just, uh, okay, I, I need to leave on time. And then it is, oh, I'm, I'm not feeling well. And it's just like you're uh, a child who doesn't want to go to school and uh, says that they have a bellyache. It's no different um, where uh, little things uh, tend to fall off. And uh, that's exactly what happens uh, with physicians as well. Yeah, that makes total sense. I think, especially when you have so many things going on, and I understand that physicians' lives are so, there's so many different moving components. They have families, um, they're people, um, and they have their own struggles and they have um, different parts of their lives that they have to tend to. They need to have a life outside of work um, in order to function, in order to be a normal human being. Um, so yeah, I'm really that, that's some really exciting insight and I'm glad I heard it. Okay, so my next question for you is, um, I understand that patient care is not just administering a treatment or administering medication. It's also um, about the trust relationship between the physician and the patient. Um, so I'm wondering how have the general public's attitudes towards the healthcare system sort of changed and how has that trusting relationship um, changed over the years? Absolutely. And I think um, if you go back about 20 years and then you, uh, uh, and then you see how medicine has changed uh, for uh, the amount of time that I've been practicing. Um, so a lot of it came uh, where exactly what you said was that people would come in, they, uh, there was a huge amount of trust. And uh, as um, that trust has eroded, some of it because of the internet, uh, you're able to Google things. Um, and then you, you're you also in social media circles where you may be talking about different uh, events that some people may have had. You're taking them out of context and you're applying them to your care. Um, and uh, that combined with the general mistrust that we've had with the healthcare profession as has been exhibited during the COVID pandemic. Um, so all of those combined um, have led to a huge distrust um, with uh, that or that breaking of the trust between the physicians and uh, the patients. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense, um, especially because social media is so accessible these days. Um, and it's been so difficult to actually talk to medical professionals uh, because of the pandemic barrier to, especially um, seeing like a general physician or family doctor, um, it can be really difficult. And a lot of people, um, even people who have access to those services, um, a lot of us turn to um, social media or Google, um, not to say that those aren't reliable, but obviously, um, Physicians have gone through years of training, and um, it would be really nice to to be able to talk to them and to have them as resources. So yeah, um, what factors do you think are putting the biggest strain on the healthcare system? Is it access to resources? Is it the number of staff? Is it funding? Is it um, like government policies? Um, so if I was to point out one uh, particular one or the biggest one right now, uh, the most current one uh, as of November of 2022, let's say uh, it has to be health human resources. Um, so the lack of staff right now. Uh, so we know that a lot of um, healthcare professions 
stopped working during the pandemic. Uh, so especially nurses where they just decided that they were not going to work either at all or as much as they always did. And as a result, that's put a huge strain on uh, the flow of patients in terms of uh, the care that they can get in the uh, appropriate beds that they need. But also the other thing that's increased is um, the number of patients that are that we're seeing um, both in the emergency room and being admitted. So a lot of people have developed a lot of chronic problems over the last two years. Some of it, uh, you've already pointed out why. Um, and when they're coming in, they're coming in quite complex and quite sick. Yeah. And have you noticed the complexity of patient? Like, do you think it's the compounding of different I guess, medical issues. Um, do you think that's coming from a result of not seeing doctors as frequently as they should, um, or maybe a lack of education or a lack of understanding? Yeah, I think that's very complex. And it would be very simplistic for me to point it out to one particular um, uh, cause. I think we we do need to look into it. We don't have that data in terms of what has caused it. Um, obviously, there's anecdotal data all over the place. Um, so yeah, we we don't know. Of course, and that's definitely an area that we should be doing research into. Now that we have gained a bit of background insight into the current state of our healthcare system, we're going to take a deeper look into our speaker's personal experiences. We talked a lot about changes in the healthcare system. Have you personally felt the effects of these changes? Absolutely. I mean, obviously, from a work standpoint, there's uh, been a lot of changes in terms of the complexities of the patient that I see. Uh, so patients who are coming in the ICU, I would usually not see them before. Um, so they're coming in much sicker. Um, and the way um, I've been impacted by it is, yes, the work has increased. I personally have done uh, fairly well, and I knock on wood as I say that, in terms of the burnout uh, piece of it. Um, a lot of that, uh, I have to um, account to what's called um, compassion. So, uh, uh, and Dr. Anthony Mazzarelli, he's published a couple books on how compassion can help burnout, uh, which is counterintuitive because we always used to teach physicians not to get emotionally involved with your patient because that's going to hurt you in the long run. That's going to cause burnout. Um, so in his books, he talks a lot about um, the opposite. So the um, he uh, presents a lot of data, uh, which shows the opposite. Um, and I personally have uh, experienced the same where if you are the more compassionate you are with the patient, the more involved you are with the patient, um, the less you feel that your work is worthless. Um, so you're uh, you're quite engaged and you're uh, you're able to work um, a, a lot more, um, but definitely more meaningful work. And once you get meaning in your work, um, it makes all the difference. Of course, I really like that. Um, I think that oftentimes we can get even not in medicine, we can get caught up in the monotony of life and it can feel like you're losing purpose. Um, as students, I know that we feel that a lot because we're like, well, why am I learning about um, the Krebs cycle for the 480th time? Um, when am I ever going to use this in the future? Um, but no, I think that defining a purpose and finding meaning in what you're doing is super important in carrying youth. Um, so yeah, I really love those words. 
Um, okay, so my next question for you is how have the changes that we mentioned before, um, so changes in physician attitudes, changes in, um, I guess, the climate of the healthcare system, how have these changes affected your um, mental well-being and your emotional well-being and your physical well-being? Yeah, absolutely. And I think one of the things you uh, hit right on the head when you were talking about uh, the work-life balance, right, in terms of uh, the hours that you spend at work and the, the fact that you're not spending it as much uh, with your family or things that you enjoy, uh, not that you don't enjoy work, you just need a more of a balance. Um, and uh, family is a huge recharger for most people. Um, or um, things like physical exercise, things like um, uh, social activities. So all those are um, huge recharging uh, mechanisms that people tend to use and they go to the ones that they enjoy the most. Um, and um, for me, that's exactly what I've used, right? So um, my family, uh, my social activities have been uh, big in terms of um, making sure that uh, you're, well balanced in terms of everything that you're doing that day. Of course. And um, I guess a bit more of a personal question. Um, when you notice yourself feeling a little bit burnt out and you feel really exhausted and you're like, I cannot take any more on right now. Um, I need to make sure to take care of myself. What are some of the factors that you've noticed that are contributing to this burnout? Um, lack of control. So I think if there was one thing that I would tell you, um, so we talked about personal resilience, that's really, really important. Um, and those are the things that you can control. Um, but when you start having lack of control, which is not necessarily within, obviously, the fact that it's lack of control, it's not within your control. Um, so those are the things that really um, impact you uh, from a burnout standpoint. And that's where I feel um the times when I have been, it hasn't it has nothing to do with personal resilience. Uh, I think most of us, the fact that we've gotten this far in life, um, doing um, the the work hours that we've been doing, we have personal resilience. Um, but what we're now starting to see is that lack of control and that lack of autonomy, which makes it a huge um, a huge burden in terms of burnout. Of course, and you mentioned lack of autonomy. Um, can you? I guess, define what that looks like in a medical context. Does that have to do with the way that other staff treat you or the way that patients treat you, or maybe the feeling that you have these responsibilities that are unwritten, but you still feel like you're carrying the weight of being a dietitian, being a physiotherapist, being um, emotional support on top of just treating the patient as you normally would? Absolutely. And I think it's all of those that you just mentioned. So it is. Um, so the lack of autonomy is coming from uh, from you yourself, right? So uh, just you're coming into work, and uh, you've already, um, you know, given up something either at home, or you've given up something from a physical activity standpoint. So that becomes a lack of autonomy, then you come to work, um, you, um, the, your interactions with other healthcare professionals that may, uh, cause that, uh, your interaction with administration, right? So that's a big thing. Your interaction with your electronic medical record, that may be a huge source of uh, lack of autonomy there. Um, and then once you start talking to the patient, the patient, the families that can cause a lack of autonomy, depending on how your communication is and, uh, and how the patient is, um, and all of those, right? So all of those can cause lack of autonomy altogether. Of course. Um, and 
it's something that, like I mentioned before, not only applies to um, people in the medical field, it applies to everyone. Um, as soon as you are taking on an extra task, you realize that you could be sacrificing something else. Um, and of course, it's great to apply yourself in any situation, but it's also very important to understand your boundaries. Um, so yeah, and I guess my next question is, I know that it's hard to speak for everyone because everyone has very different experiences and everyone perceives um, workload and their day-to-day -day interactions very differently. Um, but have you noticed that your colleagues and your other staff have shared these similar experiences? Yes, absolutely. Um, so when you look at the CMA data, which I'm sure you've uh, looked at or you've heard of or the news, uh, which shows that uh, over almost 60% of the physicians are um, worse off from a mental health standpoint. Um, so obviously there's a huge discrepancy, right, in terms of how physicians are feeling. And we uh, looked at their raw data. One of the things that they show is that different um, physicians in different fields even um, felt different levels of burnout in different stages of, um, uh, of the pandemic. So physicians who were more involved uh, during the pandemic, so people like the internists, the ICU doctors, the emergency room doctors had um, lower burnout rates. Uh, when they were um, when early on in the pandemic, so where they were trying to develop uh, methods to protect themselves, how to take care of COVID patients, what was the evidence behind taking uh, the uh, treatments that they were using, all of those things really kept them engaged, and that reduced their burnout. Uh, the surgeons at that time, when those operating rooms were closed, experienced higher burnout rates during that time. Um, and uh, as the pandemic progressed, the surgeries increased. So the surgeons were actually doing better, but the workload for the internists and the intensivists and the eMERGE docs in, uh, increased, and that caused that shift in terms of burnout. So yes, everyone, not only everyone feels different, everyone feels different at different times um, during what's going on in life and in the world. Of course. And sometimes, especially when you're working in such a high functioning team, it could be hard um, to coordinate, especially with that discrepancy in how people are feeling um, and how people are doing. So yeah, another question that I have for you is, um, you mentioned that it wasn't so much of a personal resilience thing, but it's more so compounding of a bunch of new factors that are causing this burnout. Um, so my question for you is, in the past, how were you able to cope with burnout and the high stress of being a physician and a leader? And are these same coping mechanisms withholding through all the changes that we previously discussed? Absolutely, yeah. I'm very privileged um, to be in a situation where um, I am able to control uh, my surroundings. Um, so that makes a huge difference. So that goes back to that autonomy piece. Um, so I've been very privileged not to experience that myself, um, although I've seen very close friends and very close colleagues going through that. Um, and uh, as you said, some of that is personal resilience. And even in the same situation, some of that it has to do with um, how you perceive the situation. Um, so um, obviously the system is very important, but the perception is very important as well. So from an organizational standpoint, what do we do to make it better is really listen, right? And as an organization, it's very important to listen to people, 
and knowing exactly what you just pointed out was that um, not everyone is going to be the same. So hearing one voice does not mean you've heard all of them. Um, so um, listening to each and every one of those voices, addressing those issues, even if you tell them, sorry, I can't do anything about it, the fact that you've listened um, and you've given them a reason why this can't happen is really, really important. Uh, so, Yeah, I, I totally agree. I think being valued, um, even, even when you have a really heavy workload, the feeling that your work is meaningful and the feeling that your work is valued and you're doing it even if sometimes you feel that you're not doing it for yourself, but you're doing it for something bigger um, or someone else even can be just as motivating. Um, so yeah, I totally agree. Um, awesome. So that's the end of our second portion. Um, the next one is talking about how can we support you in your role as a primary care provider? Um, so we are very lucky to have access to free healthcare in Canada. Because you do so much for us on the front lines, we want to know how we can best support you in your role as a primary care provider, as well as your other colleagues and other physicians. So my first question for you is, what are some ways that the healthcare system can prevent physician burnout and exhaustion? Yeah, uh, I mean, the classic line would be, trust me, I'm a doctor. Uh, but no, that I mean, I think that's being pre uh, too um presumptuous in terms of what we expect of our we do want our uh, patients to be well informed we do want our patients to be um, empowered uh, to ask us questions um, and at the same time that open conversation is really really important so uh, if there was one thing that uh, we could do as a society is to have that open con uh, conversation to have that trust um, that uh, the other person is coming from a good place and uh, starting off with that uh, to begin the conversation is really important. Yeah, and I think I like that you talked about opening the conversation because I think a lot of times, um, I don't want to say doctors are stigmatized, but maybe it's the reverse where they're kind of seen as like superheroes that always have a tough armor coat and that can deal with any issue that's thrown at them. But in reality, they're just like everyone else they're people they have feelings and um they need a break sometimes so i think that opening the conversation um finding a way to kind of humanize them um and see them as people and treat them as people um and talk to them with the same respect that you would talk to anyone else with um is super important because at the end of the day um it's not their intention to be the one who knows it all or to, um, you know, only put their voice forward and only have their voice as the voice of reason. Um, it's like a mutualistic relationship where both patients and doctors are coming together to reach a final goal, which is health and high quality care. Right. Um, so yeah, yeah, that's, that's my take on it. Totally agree. <laughs> mm -hmm. Um, so yeah, I think opening the conversation also not only applies to, um, like this, in this context, it doesn't only apply to, um, like viewing physicians from a different perspective or viewing, um, treatment from a different perspective. I think it can also be applied to, um, a lot of different mental health issues that, um, are being spoken about more like depression and anxiety, um, and exhaustion even. Um, so yeah. 
Yeah, so you're absolutely right, right? It's um, it's one of those where physicians are probably the worst at um, being patients. Um, so, uh, and that's something that I think it's getting better, but we still have a long way to go. Um, mental health in the medical field is still stigmatized, although we are trying to um, make sure that our patients don't feel stigmatized. Um, us as physicians, um, as we view each other, as our college and our regulatory authorities uh, view it, uh, mental health is still um, somewhat stigmatized uh, in the sense that uh, try a physician looking for mental health um, their capabilities are always questioned, things like that. So how do we improve that um, as we move forward is going to be a really important thing and will really determine how we uh, manage this um, epidemic of mental health and uh, this burnout amongst physicians. Of course. And the more we, op like opening the conversation is a place to start. Um, so I'm really happy you mentioned that. Most of our listeners are members of the McMaster undergraduate community. Um, and what we're wondering is how can we as students and leaders um, and as future leaders work to reshape the public's attitudes and even our own attitudes towards our healthcare workers and our healthcare system. Be educated. Right. So be be knowledgeable. Um, so uh, this conversation is really important to start off with listening to uh, people uh, and uh, but uh, trying to get that information from different sources rather than one particular um, network group or whatever. It's always dangerous to get your information from one spot, um, being able to open uh, your mind to different ideas to different perspectives is really, really important. Of course. And do you think that this is kind of a step in strengthening that relationship of trust and good intentions between um, patients and the general public and our healthcare providers? Yeah, or just society in general, right? Yeah. So um, I think we've uh, gotten to a point where we really compartmentalized ourselves into uh, one bucket or the other, whether that be Democrat, Republican, as it is current, um, or uh, whether that be, um, uh, you know, different uh, uh thinking groups, things like that. So it's really, really important to be open to listen to that other side and listen to it with an open mind. Of course. Um, and my final question for you is, what do you hope to see in terms of physician mental health and well-being in the future? I think, as you said, the conversations opened, right? So, and that was the biggest hurdle in trying to get there. Um, and we saw that that over the last 20 years, that conversation has progressed um, in general population. Um, and now amongst uh, physicians that has started, I hope that that's going to continue. And I really hope that uh, we can get things uh, moving forward. Of course. Um, thank um, you so much, Dr. Ahmed, for taking um, the time to be here with us today. We learned so much and we hope to open the conversation more within the McMaster community. That's awesome. fantastic. So, um, um, let's see. Okay. Um, so, Dr. Ahmed, thank you so much for taking the time to be here with us today. We learned so much and we hope to open the conversation more within the McMaster no, thank you, Myra, for starting that conversation. So thank you very much.